Every career is a journey. Every leader has a story. Welcome to Journey to the Energy C-Suite, where we look at the strategies and techniques that turn solid leaders into top executives. This is your place to hear practical wisdom and guidance from real people who know what it takes. With your host, Ryan Sanford. Hey again, everybody, and welcome back to Journey to the Energy C-Suite podcast, brought to you by the Oil & Gas Global Network and the Price College of Business EMBA program in energy, the University of Oklahoma. Thanks again for pressing that play button. And hey, don't be afraid to drop me a note on social media, LinkedIn, or on our website at journeytotheenergycsuite.com. If you like what you're hearing, also, hey, do us a favor and leave us a review on, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you access the show. We would really appreciate that. I really do appreciate the interaction so far as our first few shows have gone live folks reaching out to me on LinkedIn and giving us feedback and suggesting some guests and topics for the future. We are listening, so we have some great shows coming up for you very soon. Now, our guest today has served active duty in the U.S. Marine Corps. He is a graduate of the Price College of Business EMBA in Energy, our wonderful sponsors at the University of Oklahoma. He worked in various leadership roles in the accounting groups at Devon, and he's currently the controller at Crescent Pass Energy. He is Adam Basil. Adam, thanks so much for joining us, my friend. Good, Ryan. Ryan, for first off, thanks for having me and congratulations on the podcast. It's been great to listen to the, the previous episodes and, and kind of what other leaders in this industry talk through and, and also fascinating to hear their stories and, and, and their unique path and, and how they got to where they are. So thank you. Well, well you're welcome. And, and thank you for taking the time to join us today. And you have a unique story as well. And we want to get into that. And it's interesting because when we spoke before, you know, you told me about how your interest in the oil and gas industry really started when you were a kid. Your dad was a part of the industry and you were exposed to it pretty early. I would be interesting to hear about how that experience with your dad kind of helped shape your perception of the industry itself and then your eventual interest in working in the industry. Yeah, no, great question. I, you know, you know, as a young boy, I, I was truly unaware of really what my dad did for a living. This time he worked for Exxon and, and really just recently I asked him kind of what, what did you do? I, I knew, you know, it was kind of in the, the geology realm. I think his title is actually a velocity survey coordinator. He oversaw uh, contractors that he hired to perform, you know, downhole logging offshore. All, all of his time was offshore. And, you know, growing up, he had random rocks around the house, you know, framed pictures of drilling rigs, offshore drilling rigs and, and drill bits. But I never really understood at that time that these things were related to oil and gas. I, I never really put that together when I was young. It wasn't until, you know, many years later, after I transitioned out of the military, that I worked for Weatherford Labs um, here in the Woodlands. You know, I would crush rock cores in a room with other college students and a mortar uh, with a pestle. And that's where I really began to learn so much about this industry. And just for me sitting in that room with a rock that was, that was formed the way it was, you know, thousands and thousands of feet below the surface. It wasn't until this point in my life where I kind of put together my dad's job, why he had rocks, you know, around the house, and, you know, he had a lot of close friends that he worked at Exxon during that time. I started putting all that together and tried to start learning more about what we do in this industry. And 
my perception of this industry and understanding of what this industry accomplishes for all of us has continued to grow since that job. It was fascinating to me to, to again, take this rock that was deposited in this environment millions of years ago, break it down and into this powder. You know, some other folks there, Weatherford, would extract the organic part of the rock and provide that data to, you know, these companies, the geologists, geophysicists, petrologists. And then those professionals would make scientific educated decisions on the next location for a well. It was just fascinating. It still is to me. And that job definitely started my interest in the oil and gas industry and gave me a much more appreciation for kind of what those that have that have done in this industry prior to me and what they've accomplished. And you mentioned your your military service earlier and you didn't go straight into working in oil and gas. You did make the decision to serve our country and we we always appreciate that. So thank you for your service. I would be interested. We've had a couple of guests already that have a, a background in military service and it always fascinates me to learn about how that experience can shape not only your worldview, but as you move into a corporate role later on, your leadership style, your self-discipline. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about how you made that decision to serve, why that was important to you, and then how that impacted your later career in leadership and your own personal way of leading yourself. Sure. Yeah. You know, the Marine Corps definitely had and, and will continue to have an impact on many aspects of my life to include my, my personal discipline and leadership style. This is one topic that I could talk about far beyond our allocated time here, but I'll pick out a couple of experiences that come to mind. You know, the first one that, that I could think through is when I was stationed in Pensacola, Florida, that's where I was receiving additional training specific to the job that I would perform in the Marine Corps. I had two instructors, Faye and Mayfield, that pushed me physically beyond my, my mental limits. And I was never a great runner, but these two individuals taught me early on that my mental block was my problem. It wasn't my physical limitation. You know, my body would tell me what that physical limitation is. It would shut down. But my challenge was my mental block. And it taught me that even in business, you know, there's times that you need to get past your mental block. You need to push yourself while, you know, working in spreadsheets. There's not a physical component (laughs) of that outside of moving a mouse. But you know, there are many aspects and roadblocks that you can run into in business and in your career that sometimes you just need to get past that mental block and push yourself. And really, maybe another experience that I could think through is really my time in Iraq. You know, after being deployed twice to Iraq, I was able to step outside of this country that I was comfortable with, familiar with, and into one that was in war. And it gave me perspective of just other other cultures, cultures and environments that were very different than what I had experienced here in the U.S. I got to meet people that deep down were the same as I mean you, and but they live in a different place and have they had very different life experiences than we do. You know, one thing through that process was I found that things like laughter was a common language that all of us understood. You know, it, it provided me a perspective that I have a lot to be thankful for in my life, and that we as a nation have a lot to be thankful for, and really. That life is short, our days are numbered, and enjoy it as best you can while it lasts and laugh a little bit more in life. So, yeah, did you find that the being exposed to those different cultures serving overseas really translated well? Because the oil and gas industry is a very diverse industry. You may work in Houston, Texas for your entire career, but you're going to be working alongside lots of folks from different parts of the world that have a background coming from those different cultures. Do you find that that helped in that regard? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, I think collectively as an industry, we are all working towards the same goal and we're also trying to be prudent in what we do to ensure that more often than not in this industry, oil and gas can get a bad name. And very much like the Marine Corps, you know, there's always one. There can always, you know, there, there can be one, one in your unit that can kind of mess it up for the group. And it's, it's the same way in, in this industry, you know. And so those things definitely translated from, you know, military experience to this industry. And, it, and I know this industry has a lot of veterans in it. So, yeah. Yeah. So let's fast forward a little bit. So when your active duty career ended in the military, you, you went into corporate roles, you worked for Devon and their accounting group, and then you eventually moved into some leadership roles within that group. Tell us about that first leadership role in a, in a corporate environment. Um, were you ready for that? <laughs> Did you feel ready and prepared to, to lead other people there? I thought so. I thought I was ready, but I, I was definitely not. You know, I, I forgot who it was on one of your on one of your previous episodes, but they said the exact same thing. And, it, and I, I kind of laughed when they said that because nobody's really ready. You know, you may think you're ready, but I was kind of thrown into it right smack dab in the middle of a layoff. And that's, you know, my first leadership role, something I will never forget. It actually taught me that no one's really ready for their first leadership role. I had years of experience specific to the work, but not leading a team, not navigating through tough conversations with my team or learning to probably one of the harder things I think that a lot of leaders struggle with, including me was true learning to take a step back away from the details and, and lead. Right. So maybe back in a way, in my case, from the debits and credits and, and really focusing on, you know, what we need to do as a team to accomplish whatever our goals are. And, I learned you need to understand the difference between being an individual contributor and leading and then where that line is. And when you cross that line and you're in a leadership role, it's important to step away from the individual contributor role and then understand what, you know, specific to your team, understanding what makes them tick, what keeps them motivated, ensuring the team understands expectations and and really treating them like a human being. I've learned the most in my career from what I would consider the bad leaders. Everybody has somebody that they consider to be a bad leader. And throughout my life, including my first job in Conroe, Texas, cleaning cars at a car wash, you know, I learned who I did not want to be as a leader. And I've taken pieces from those bad leaders throughout my career and ensured that I'm not that leader. Frankly, I just, I don't learn as much from good leaders as I do from bad leaders. And I think it's, it's, you know, being reasonable, setting expectations and, and treating your team how you want to be treated is, is kind of what I've gotten out of those folks. Yeah. So lot, lots of different ways that our leadership style gets formed. You made you made the decision to, to further your career in, in a formal way years ago. You were, I think, one of the first folks to, to go through the EMBA program at, at the Price College of Business, the EMBA program in energy and I know that was no small decision to make. You you had a young family at that point. You're working and commit to a program like that. Why was that important for you to pursue an advanced education? Yeah, I mean, if, uh, first, uh, Dr. Ghosh may, may kind of kick me for this one. But, you know, we, we were, I was in cohort nine. So I was the ninth class. So call it, you know, two and a half, maybe three years after the program began. But, you know, was, why was it important for me to pursue, you know, many reasons, for one, I like learning, you know, especially in this industry, there's so much to learn, not only specific to accounting and the intricacies of oil and gas accounting, but, you know, I wanted to broaden my education beyond accounting. You know, that, that was really one of the reasons as well. As far as this program specifically, 
I spent a lot of time understanding what programs were out there. Even prior to moving to Oklahoma, I dug into a lot of programs here in Houston before I moved up to Oklahoma. I had looked at Rice and, and UT and many others, and there's a lot of great programs out there. But I wanted a program where the students wanted to be there. I wanted, you know, challenging coursework and coursework that I could use in my career. So it was nice to see that this was specific to energy. I also wanted a program where I could learn as much from the students as I did from the educators. That was very important to me and a program that incorporated some form of international learning, very much like the international trip in the program. So this program provided all those things for me and, and far more. It definitely exceeded my expectations. I wouldn't change a thing. I'd add anyone looking for a program like the MBA program at OU, reach out to others, go to social events, ask questions. You know, I went to so many events, you know, prior to even applying in, in this program to include sitting in actual classes with another program prior to selecting this program. And you can learn a lot from those social events. You can interact with, you know, alum and, you know, potential students that are also applying and a lot of factors. But for me, I, you know, this program kind of aligned with all those pieces. And, and like I said, I, I, I don't regret any aspect of that decision. Yeah. Talk about the time management aspect of that, because as, as we, you and I talked a couple of weeks ago, I mean, it, it is a big commitment if you're thinking about uh, pursuing an advanced degree while you're already working. A lot of folks have family obligations as well. And I know that time management is, is important to you. We've, we've had a, a pretty robust discussion about spending your time with people who want to intentionally spend their time in the right ways. And that applies to choosing which company you want to work for, which, which leaders you want to work for, which friends you want to be around. Tell me how you managed your time during that period of time when you were going through that program. Yeah. You know, time management for me has been something that I have struggled with my entire life and, and probably many other people do to include my time during this program. So many things that I'd want in my life, you know, I want to be a great father, a great husband, and finding that balance every day is difficult with a demanding career. I even remember asking Mike Stice, we were walking away from the college. I know Mike was in your first episode and I'd asked him this question towards the end of the EMBA program. Like I've asked many other leaders in my career, cause I, I'm just, I'm always curious to the answer. And I asked them this only because, you know, I, I feel like I struggle with this piece, you know, time management. And what I've really found after asking so many people this question, there's no right answer. You know, you have to make the choice every day how you allocate your time. That's the key. It's your choice. You decide every single day you wake up, you know, what you're going to do and what bucket you're going to allocate your time to. Every day you wake up, it's your choice. Is it your family, your career? your health, your education, friends, faith, or, or sleep. You know, <laughs> most of what this program kind of ate into was really my sleep. Because for me, you know, family was important. Career had its challenges. And so sleep kind of ate into some of that. And so, you know, as you select one of those things each day, just by default, those other things are not selected. And so you have to make the choice when you select others you know, what that's going to look like for the rest of those options. And I've asked, like I said, a lot of people this question in my life. One of the answers that has also stuck with me was Tom Hooper. He's actually, he's now a professor at OU, interesting enough. But at the time I asked him this question, he was a VP at Devon with a very demanding role. We were at work late one night working through some financial questions. And I asked him the work-life balance question, you know, more specifically to family. You know, he spent a significant amount of time working in that role 
I kind of observed that and, you know, his response to my question, you know, how do you manage work-life balance and really family? His response was, was interesting to me. It was quality over quantity. And hopefully Tom doesn't kick me for kind of <laughs> throwing this out there. But, you know, what he meant by that was if you make the choice to spend time with your family, make it count, get off your phone, take away from the distractions and, and be there, make that quality time. You know, if you take 15 minutes out of your day, if that's all you have to spend time with your family after you get home from work and before you start working through aspects of this program, don't sit there on your phone for 15 minutes while you're carrying on a conversation. And my wife may even laugh uh, of this part because, again, I'm, I'm not perfect here. And I think for those that are looking into furthering your education or applying to this specific program, just know you have to make a commitment. You have to make a, a significant time commitment to your education. You'll have less time to allocate to other things in your life as you make that choice. I, I know for me, when I even asked this question to Stephanie Stewart, she was actually the first cohort in this program. She had worked at Devon at the time as well. And, and I asked her this specific question. I think her first kind of questions to me was, are you married? I said, yes. And she said, do you have kids? I said, no. And she goes, okay, well, let your, know, let your wife know you won't see her for, for you know, the period of this program. And, and, and there's some truth to that. You know, it's challenging and, and you need to have a support system. And, but know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel and you know, you'll figure out that time management as you work through it. I want to talk a little bit about your shift from Devon to, to where you're, you're at now at Crescent Pass Energy, going from a larger organization to a smaller, more nimble, growth-oriented organization in the controller role that you're in now. And does that require a bit of a mind shift moving from, from a large organization like that to, to really a more fast-paced, quick, nimble organization like Crescent Pass? Yeah, definitely. You know, you have to have a, a different mindset. You have to be able to adapt to change, which is very, very much something I took from kind of military days and really step outside of your comfort zone. Like the earlier question related to leadership, I wasn't fully ready for this role. You know, I went from having many resources, you know, Devin had thousands of employees and, and, quite a few accounting and finance employees to move into, you know, a company with no policies, no procedures, and kind of starting from scratch on so many things. It was challenging, difficult, overwhelming, but, you know, learning as I, you know, worked through it was rewarding. You know, I tried many times in my roles at Devon, kind of taking my blinders off and getting outside of silos that large companies create and understand my role and how it fit into the big picture. And I think that it's important for everyone to kind of understand that and transitioning to like a one man accounting finance team with a company in growth mode forced me to learn quickly, use what resources I had, in, including reaching out to some of those relationships I, I built over time and learn from my mistakes. I think that was the key for me. I've always learned very much like the bad leaders. I've always learned the most in my career and my life from my mistakes. I think it's important for everybody to make mistakes, maybe not intentionally, but for me, I've never forgotten a lot of the mistakes I've made, especially big mistakes, and grow through those mistakes. The times I do everything right, I don't learn as much. Those moments aren't etched into my brain like the mistakes I've made. Yeah, and it's it's the mistakes and also having time to reflect on the mistakes, <laughs> reflect on what could have gone could have gone differently. What choices did I did I make or not make that could have contributed to to things not working out as well? Definitely. Some folks make mistakes and never reflect on it, and they, they kind of find they find themselves repeating those patterns. But clearly, you've spent a lot of time reflecting and making those adjustments 
you know, in your controller role, you know, you, your job really is to to help your executive team identify and evaluate deals for your company. And, you know, the information that you pull together, the numbers that you pull together have to be accurate. I know that that's not just a, a one man superhero effort. You really do have to create systems and have the right kind of systems in place to create valuable information, actionable data that your your leaders can then make decisions on. Tell us about how you approach that. Yeah. You know, as we've grown, I've personally, I've stepped away from what I would consider the business development side of our business here at Crescent Pass after we brought on Jake, our, our VP of business development and his team. And, and I've focused more of my efforts on the accounting and financial side, but I chime in and hear I chime in here and there as we move these deals through the asset evaluation process. But you bring up a good point as it relates to information analysis and kind of distilling that information. You know, I spent years at Devon learning how to get the numbers on a page, analyze them, presenting them, and then talking about them. All four of those pieces take time, effort, and years of experience to understand. Even when I was, I was talking to Tom Hooper months ago about how I really didn't thoroughly understand all aspects of financial statements until a few years ago. You know, being able to look at financials and, and understand what's non-cash, cash on income statement. Are you generating cash? If so, is that cash from operations or financing? What items are on your balance sheet? You know, when will these balance sheet items have an impact on income statement? I thought I knew the answer to these questions years back, but I didn't. And I do this for a living. So those that don't, you know, it's very much an art at times trying to communicate financial information to leaders, you know, executives, investors. I think the most important part of this art is understanding your audience. You have to know who you're talking to, what, understand their level of knowledge as it relates to the financials, the industry, accounting, and break it down in a way that, that gets them the information or, or gets them the answer they're seeking. And it's not easy at times. You know, this too is, is a work in process. Yeah, I'd love to get your perspective overall just on accounting leadership roles, financial leadership roles in terms of the the value they can bring to organizations, specifically organizations like Crescent Pass that are really in growth mode, constantly evaluating deals, how to create value. How do you see those roles evolving in the next several years? Yeah, this one's easy to me. You know, I briefly mentioned it in an earlier question. You know, understand your role, understand how you fit into the organization, understand how you specifically add value. Ask questions. For me, if someone's not asking questions, they're either afraid to ask, they're not listening, or they don't care. And so for me, I think it's very important to ask, ask questions. I'm totally fine with with sounding stupid if I ask a question. I learned something from it. And then, you know, as far as the next few years, you know, I personally see these roles and many roles in accounting becoming more valuable and necessary over time. Big data is something that is here to stay in accounting. You can do a lot with these data sets. It's amazing what you can do with financial data. You know, even small companies like Crescent Pass that don't have a massive IT budget, say like a, a Devon, we at Crescent Pass were able to take all the accounting transactions that occur monthly and organize them in a meaningful way for the individuals in the field that have a direct impact on the financials. And those individuals can drive our revenues up or our expenses down. And I think it's amazing to have those that directly impact the financials align to the company financials that are in the board meetings. We don't do those things without big data. And this is only going to get better over time. Yeah, so one last question for you, Adam, before, before we let you go today. Now, think about Crescent Pass Energy. What are you most excited about coming up over the next year or two? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm most excited about, you know, what this team has accomplished over the last year. It's definitely been a challenging one, you know, I'm excited about the company growth that we've seen so far in 2021 and the additional growth that we'll see in the future. And then in the coming years, you know, I've, I've already seen what great things big data has done for this industry. And I'm most excited about what big data will continue to do, not only for this industry, but accounting. I personally enjoyed my time in this industry a lot. And I think we will continue to see new ideas, technology, big data and talent continue to push this this industry forward. Adam Basil, thank you for joining us today. I really enjoyed the conversation, my friend. Ryan, thanks again. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Hey, thank you for listening again to Journey to the Energy C-Suite podcast. Again, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, anywhere you access your podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review and we'll be back soon with another great guest. Take care. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN and here are the events on deck for June 2021. This month, we have six events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events that I talk about here. We even include events that occurred two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. This month, OGGN will be hosting two events. One is online and one is in person. For our online event, we're hosting a live stream titled Deal Value Creation, M&A and ONG. This is going to be on June the 2nd. And for our in-person event, we're relaunching our happy hours. It's been far too long since we had a good happy hour, so I'm sure plenty of you will be excited to hear that our next happy hour will be at the Cannon in Houston, Texas on June 24th. At this event, you'll be able to meet some of OGGN's hosts and network with other oil and gas industry professionals, all while enjoying great food and drinks. We hope to see you there. Other than OGGN's events, we have two in-person and two online events. First up, we have our two in-person events, which are the Energy Capital Conference on June 2nd at the Omni Houston Hotel and the U.S. Police and Fire Championships from June 10th to the 21st. The Police and Fire Championships will be hosted in multiple locations, so make sure to check out our events newsletter for more information about that. Next, we have our two online events, the first being the Post-Industrial Summit Series. This event actually started on May 4th, but it'll be ending later this month on June 22nd, so there's still plenty to see. And our second online event is the Big Data Industry Summit from June 9th to 10th. If you have any questions about these events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for June. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week for another enlightening episode of Journey to the Energy C-Suite, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.